Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Turn with me again to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy 2. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 from the English Standard Version. And it's pretty close to the uh, King James, but uh, words are, are positioned a little differently, but it'll, you'll still follow it. The apostle said, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. You know, it's good to pray. It's good to pray for people. Amen. Don't gossip about them. Pray for them. And then for kings and for all who are in high positions, that is high positions in government, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This, leading a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way, is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. What, uh, what has been going on in our nation the last few years and it's been building toward what we're seeing today? The enemy has a plan to bring complete chaos into our nation, in the social scene, working through politics, and uh, so forth, to bring division into our nation. And the people who often who are talking about division and criticizing division are themselves the very agent of division. They're the ones that are actually sowing this division. But it comes from the devil. It comes from the devil. And he has a plan to disrupt this nation and cause social uh, disharmony and, and turmoil, like I said, chaos. And you can see the players demonstrating themselves. If they don't get their way, they start setting things on fire. There's been an assault uh, on our political system, assault on our, our, our governmental uh, uh, foundation and, and, and institutions. And it's of the devil. And it's not pleasing to God. And it's not his will. God's will is that we lead a peaceable and quiet life in all dignity and uh, godliness. That's the will of God. And so uh, the first step in, in... Stopping what the devil's doing is is recognizing what he's doing. Recognizing who's responsible for what's going on, who's behind it, and it's the devil. Yeah, he uses people all right, and we pray for people, but make no mistake, the devil's behind it. And thank God we have authority over all his works, over all his works, over all his works. We, the church... The church has, has spiritual authority. Now, people can be, can be yielding 
to demon spirits, and they are. People can be yielding to uh, humanistic uh, beliefs and and lifestyles and, and philosophies, and they are. They don't have any authority. They're just, they're pawns in the devil's hands. And they think, they, they, they think they're, they're really uh, cutting edge. No, they're, they're in slavery to demon spirits and they don't even realize it. But we, the church, are the only ones with spiritual authority that's been expressly given to us by the Lord Jesus himself. And he said, the things that you allow, reading from Matthew 16, the the, uh, New Century Version, the things you don't allow on earth will be the things God does not allow. And the things you allow on earth will be the things that God allows. I said this morning, I think all of us have, have asked this question before when something happened to somebody that was bad, sometimes we've asked, now, Lord, why did you let that happen? Why did you let that happen to them? Why did you let that? Well, this scripture here says that Jesus said, whatever things you allow will be the things God allows, and whatever you don't allow will be the things he, he, he doesn't allow. So in many, many of these cases, it's not a matter of what God did, it's what did we do or not do. Amen. That's the truth. That's the truth. Hallelujah. Now, uh, let's go to Ephesians. I think we had, had looked at this this morning. Ephesians. And let's look at the sixth chapter. There's some more the Lord wants us to see here. Ephesians chapter six. And there's this, there, there are some unscriptural ideas about spiritual warfare. And uh, this passage is one that's used a lot to promote uh, a, a concept or a view of spiritual warfare that's not really in line with these verses themselves. Let's start in verse 10. It says, finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Now, if you go down a couple of verses, about three verses, you'll see what this armor is. Now, it's not within the scope of what I'm teaching tonight to uh, go into detail about, about this armor, but let's, let's read it in uh, verse number, uh, starting verse number 14. It talks about having your waist girded with truth, putting on the breastplate of righteousness, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith. Well, I don't believe in all that faith stuff. I think y'all magnify faith so much. What he said here, above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. These uh, comprise the armor This is the armor we're supposed to put on. Go back up to verse number 11. Put on the whole armor of God so that you can fight the devil. Is that what that says? So that you can can wrestle, get down in the pit, get the devil in in, 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 in a headlock, kick him in the shins real good. 
break his arm. Listen to what he said. Put on the whole, here's, see, we, we read that one verse, for we do not wrestle, and people get all fixated with the word wrestle. Now, if you, if you go back and, and look at a good, a good Greek uh, lexicon and look this, this word up, it literally means to wrestle like they wrestled, you know, in the Olympic Games, just like, uh, the, I guess there's fake wrestling today, you know, it's kind of, it's not really Olympic wrestling. But it's talking about the physical sport of wrestling. That's what the word means. But you have to interpret scriptures, not just by the, by the technical definition of the word, but how the word is used. How it's used historically, but also how it's used in the, in the passage. And people get all caught up with this idea of wrestling. We're going to enter into spiritual warfare. And so... You know, there was a few years ago, there, there was this popular trend in churches. People would come to service and they'd have a warfare service. We're going to come, you know, Monday night or Wednesday night and we're going to war against the devil. We're going to wrestle against the devil. We're going to enter into spiritual warfare. And uh, it, got, it got so perverted and so out of, out of bounds and unscriptural because people didn't look at the, at the context this was set in. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to, tell me the next two words. Stand against the wiles of the devil. Now that word wiles means the crafty scheming with the intent to deceive. The trickery of the devil. That doesn't sound like a deep, dark, Awesome, powerful, demonic activity. You know where heads are spinning around. Like you see crazy things on TV. No, the the wiles of the devil. Put on the whole armor of God that you might, say it again, stand against the wiles of the devil. See, verse number 11 and verse number 13 inform us what this wrestling is like, what it means to wrestle. For we wrestle not, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now look at verse 13. Therefore take up, and we hear the whole armor again, just like he said in verse number 11. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to really whip the, the devils behind. Is that what that says? No. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. Now, the word withstand has the, has the idea of resisting. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, there's, the, there's that idea of standing against the wiles of the devil. Having done all to stand, stand therefore. So you see repeatedly, both before the wrestling verse and after the wrestling verse, we have it set in the context, it involves standing and resisting the wiles, the craftiness, the scheming of the devil. You see, the devil is already defeated. 
We're, 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 not going, we're not called to get into battle, to, to go into some kind of battle to, to try to defeat the devil. He's already defeated. Jesus took care of the devil. I mean, when Jesus, when Jesus defeated the devil, he mopped the floor with him. He's never recovered from that. He's never recovered from that. Jesus made an open show of him and all of his cohorts. But when he ascended on high, he left a world where these defeated foes, these defeated spirits still have a legal right to be here. Now they have a a legal right to be here because there's a, a, a time contract that God God entered into on uh, the establishing of the earth and they have a right to be here until until that time runs out. Remember uh, the evil spirits when Jesus cast them out? They said, Lord, you know, have you come here to torment us before the time? Don't cast us into the abyss. There is a time when they're going to be cast into the abyss, but it wasn't time. You know, if Jesus could have cast them into into the abyss, he'd have done it then. I mean, how uncharitable to leave those dumb spirits here to torment somebody else if he could have cast them into the abyss. That wouldn't have been very nice of Jesus. Thanks a lot, Lord. No, if he could have gotten rid of them, he would have. But it wasn't time. See, the devil and evil spirits even know their rightful place. They know what belongs to them. They know they have a right to be here. Jesus defeated them by taking their authority from them where it it applies to people who are born again. Now, we read the scripture this morning in 1 John chapter 5 that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Because see, people who are unsaved and and, uh, haven't accepted Christ, they're still dominated by the devil. Even though his power has been broken, they're still dominated because his power has been broken on behalf of the church. We have been delivered out of the kingdom of darkness. We have been delivered from the authority of, of the kingdom of dark and we've been given authority over them and that's why we're still here because the because the the gospel era is still ongoing we're still here preaching to people sharing Jesus and pulling people out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light that's why we're here but because we're here we have to encounter these demon spirits that are are ruling in this world And they'll try to hinder us. And we have to keep our foot on them. We have to keep them in their place. We have to to enforce the defeat that Jesus accomplished. We have to to act in faith and obedience and keep our foot on the devil's head, keep him in his place. Because he'll try to dominate us if we let him. And the reason for that, even though, even though we have been delivered from his authority, we still are, we still are in, the, in the position of being free moral agents. We can still choose 
to obey God or not disobey God and to, and to not obey the word or to obey the word. We can still do that. And because of that, if we don't stay full of the Holy Ghost and full of the word and, and, and acting on our, our, our authority and using our faith and, and so forth, if we don't do that, the devil will run over us. But as soon as you know your rights... As soon as you know what belongs to you, you can stiffen your back and say, oh, hold it. I slipped up. I let you take an advantage of it. No more. It doesn't matter that you yielded to it. He doesn't have the right to keep you in bondage. You can repent to the Lord and say, now I'm taking that back in Jesus' name. I'm taking that territory back. Devil, turn it loose. You turn my body loose, you turn my finances loose, you turn my children loose, you turn my business loose, you turn my everything loose. Glory to God that pertains to me. Amen. So that wrestling that we do is in the sense of withstanding, resisting, and standing in faith. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, something else I want to say about that before I go to the next part. Romans 6 again. There's actually two reasons we take up the armor of God. There's two reasons in this passage. We are to take up the whole armor of God. What's the first reason? We've already gone over it. What is it? So that you can stand against the wiles of the devil, so that you can withstand, resist him. Stand. That's, that's the first reason that's given for taking up the, the whole armor of God. But let's keep reading. We'll find the next reason. Take that, verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. What's the next word? Praying. Prayer is the next reason for taking up the armor of God. We take up the armor of God for two reasons. One, to resist and stand against everything the enemy's doing, not just in our lives, but in, in society around us. We are the salt of the earth. We're not supposed to just be free ourselves. We're supposed, to, we're supposed to take the authority that's been given to us and take our place in this world and make a difference here. Because God wills that all men be saved. And in order for all men to be saved, the church has to be, on the, has to be the aggressor. The church has to be on the offense, not on the defense. Standing and resisting is, is defensive, but praying is offensive. The, the, the uh, shield of faith is a defensive piece of armor, but the sword of the spirit is an offensive piece of, honor, of armor. So we're supposed to be taking our place, protecting ourselves, but also making a difference in this world, going back to what Paul said, praying for all men. Why? So that they'll have a good life? No, praying that they'll be free from the enemy, that they'll come into the knowledge of the truth, that they'll have their eyes enlightened, their minds open, and, and have the, the, the Savior revealed to them, praying for people's salvation. Well, the enemy, the enemy is desperately trying to oppose the gospel message. He's trying to oppose the mission of the church. That's why all this stuff is going on. The devil doesn't care anything about the United States of America, whether it's capitalism or socialism. He doesn't care. It matters 
what goes on in a nation matters because it affects the gospel going out. It affects the ability for people to to be open and receptive to the things of God. And when you have chaos and madness dominating the social scene, it's hard to get the gospel out because people are angry and they're... the devil wants to, to bring so much division in our, in our nation. He really wants to start a civil war. If you want to be honest about it, he wants to start a civil war in our country. It's happened before. He wants to have so much division and discord in our nation that people take up arms against one another. That's what he wants to do. Amen. That's why we're called take the armor of God to withstand him in our own lives, but also to pray for other people and to, be, and to take the authority that's ours and to stop what he's doing in our nation. Put a stop to it. It's what we're called to do. We're authorized to do that. We are authorized to put a stop to what the devil's doing. Now, what complicates it is a lot of people are yielding to the devil. Mostly unbelievers, but a fair amount of believers are yielding to the devil. So that's why we have to persevere in prayer. That's why, that's why prayer, when, when, when we come to this kind of prayer, it's not the prayer of faith. The prayer of faith uh, has to do with things that belong to you, your covenant rights, you know, you... To, to be blessed, to have a, a prosperous life. That's a covenant right. And so you obey the scriptures, you obey the Holy Ghost with your finances, your giving, and then you claim what belongs to you. you. You don't have to do that. You don't have to labor in prayer for that. You just claim that and thank God for it. But when it comes to these areas where you're dealing with other people, their wills are involved. You have to continue to pray. That's why it's not just something that, that is, is quick and over and done. So in, in particular, things like, like is go, are going on in our nation right now, it's ongoing prayer because the devil is fighting. But the church is armed. The church is armed with authority to make a difference in this world. Glory to God. To set men free. To bind and to loose, to permit and to not permit, to say what can happen and what isn't to happen belongs to the church, belongs to the church, belongs to the church, not the church, the church right here, believers. The church is made up of individual members. Yeah, we're one body. But the body acts when, when its members act, when, when actual believers don't just believe in something, but they actually act on what they believe. Amen. Praise God. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Go with me over to Ezekiel 22. <coughs> Excuse me, Ezekiel 22. Hallelujah. Ezekiel 
Now, in we're going to read verse 30 and 31, but if you go back and read the previous verses, it has to do with all of the ungodliness that was going on uh, in Israel at the time. And a lot of it had to do with the leaders, the priests and the so-called prophets. They were false prophets, really. And so wrapping it up in verse 29, the people of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery, and mistreated the poor and needy, and they wrongfully oppressed the stranger. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. See, what what was going on in Israel, the sin and the wickedness that was being practiced was calling on judgment. Sin calls for judgment. I'm going to say that again. Sin calls for judgment. That's why you, you want to stay as far away from sin as you can because it evokes judgment. It calls on judgment. Now, thank God we, we're living in a day of grace. And in earlier times, in earlier biblical times, with the things that have been going on in our nation the last 70 years, 60 years at least, I mean, this nation, God would have just wiped us out if we'd have been in Old Testament times. Fire and brimstone would have fallen on this nation and and just burned us to a crisp. (laughs) But because of the day of grace and opportunity, God is long-suffering with people, but sin still calls on judgment. So they were living under the old covenant and their, their sinfulness was, was evoking judgment on God's behalf. But God does not delight in judgment. God delights in mercy. God doesn't take pleasure in judging people. God takes pleasure in, in extending mercy to the repentant heart. So it says here that God sought for a man who would make a wall and stand in the gap The standing in the gap, the idea there is, another translation said, stand in the breach. In other words, make a wall and fill the gap in that wall. The the places where the wall has been broken down to stand in the breach, the opening in the wall, to make the difference, to make the wall solid. God was looking for somebody, just someone to, 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 to build a wall and to stand in the gap, stand in the breach on behalf of the land, on behalf of the nation. Well, how do you do that? How do you stand in, in the gap? How do you make a wall and stand in the gap, stand in the breach on behalf of a nation? You do it in prayer. That's how it's done. God was looking for somebody. But here, he, found, he didn't find anybody. Because he didn't find anybody, he said, I found no one. Therefore, I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. And I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord God. 
Well, God is calling on the church today to make a wall, to stand in the gap on behalf of our nation because there's a lot of good in this nation and, and there, there's, we still have divine destiny. Our nation still has a divine destiny. You can't look at our history can't look at the history of the United States of America and not see that there was divine destiny in the establishing of this nation. God had a, had a reason for our nation. You can't deny that. Well, he still has a destiny for our nation. Our, our job here is not done. I'm talking about the United States. God does work through nations. He has a role for nations and, and he raises up the church to secure a nation that he can work through to accomplish his purposes. And his purposes for our nation are not over. It is not time for the United States of America to lose its influence in the world. I said this the other day. It's not time for, the, for America to lose its influence. It's not time for the church to influ- lose its influence in the nation. So, well, yeah, that can happen even during times of persecution. Yeah, but then we're playing catch up. Why, why go from freedom and a place of, a, of dominion to going back under, under bondage and persecution and have to fight our way back? We've already done that. Don't listen to these voices that say, well, you know, we, we, you, you know we, shouldn't, we shouldn't be in love with the American way of life. No, we're not in love with the American way of life. We're in love with Jesus. And Jesus has produced a really good way of life. It's called peacefulness, quietness, dignity, and godliness. God did that. We're supposed to still have an influence in this world. We're not supposed to surrender to what's going on in this world. The devil is trying to destroy our nation and we're not supposed to allow it. Amen. God's not, God's not finished with the United States as it, as it uh, applies to the nation of Israel. No other nation on this planet will stand to defend Israel against its enemies if the United States disappears off the scene or or is no longer dominant in this world. Israel would be absolutely run over by its enemies and not one nation would come to their defense. Now, they do today, but they do it under under the leadership of the United States. We're constantly standing and defending Israel. Now, in recent years, there's been a tendency in our government to abandon Israel. And it hasn't gone good for America when we have, when we have administrations that are hostile to Israel and, and, and turn a deaf ear to Israel's troubles. When, when we have an administration and a government uh, that does that, it, things start going, going south real quickly for our nation. Have you noticed that? Yes. And when we have a government and, and, and administration that, that wants to protect Israel, then God blesses that. The enemy doesn't like it. And that's what's going on right now. That's part of the struggle right now. 
The devil doesn't like the policies of standing with Israel. We haven't had a a better and stronger ally of Israel in the White House than, than Donald Trump in a long, long time. I mean decades. And this isn't, my message isn't about Donald Trump. It's about the plan of God. It's about the plan of God. When the church is caught away, you know, there's a catching away. There's a whole lot of people going home, praise God. One of these days, we're all going home. When that happens, there is going to be unleashed so much trouble and so much uh, destruction directed to Israel. And because of Israel's rejection of Christ, they're going to they're see a time of trouble. The Bible says the likes of which no nation has ever seen before or ever will see again. Well, that's not to happen till the church is raptured out of here. Well, we're here to, uh, in the spirit, but, but also in the natural. The, the, the United States is here. God is, God is using the United States as a vehicle for the authority of the church to have, a, have an outward expression where Israel is concerned. We, we defend Israel as Christians, but it takes tanks. It takes intercontinental missiles. It takes missile domes and shields. It takes high-tech weaponry to defend Israel. And I don't see a department in the church like that. I have a couple of rifles, five I think to be, be precise, but that's, no, to defend Israel takes, takes modern warfare weaponry. And the United States is the is the is the earthly power defending Israel and it's and it's God this is one of the purposes of the United States God raised up the United States the church God used the church to bring to bring an awakening in in the colonies to create a nation and one of the purposes was to raise up a people to defend Israel who who wasn't even a nation at the time and in 1948, Israel organized and, and, and was birthed modernly as a, as a modern nation for the first time for in, in, in a long, long time. God was planning this. And it's not time for the church to abandon that. It's not time for America to abandon Israel. That time will, will come when we're, when we're gone out of here. When we're left, it's going to be trouble on this planet. But we're supposed to stop that. It's up to us to build a wall, stand in the gap. We do that through prayer. Amen. I want to leave you with this scripture tonight. Prayer is not not for the weak. Prayer, prayer, the kind of prayer we're talking about, is not lighthearted. It's not 
Now I lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to keep. God is great. God is good. Let us bless him for our food. That's, that's not what we're talking about. And we're not talking about quick one-time praying. We're talking about uh, the business of prayer, supplication, and intercession. Turn over with me, and this will be my final passage, and I'll leave you with it. Go to Isaiah and look at the 43rd chapter. Isaiah 43. Look at verse 25 and 26. I, even I, this is God talking. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. We thought he he was blotting out our transgressions for our sake. He was doing it for his sake because he loves us. He wants to bless us. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins Put me in remembrance. Well, when he said put me in remembrance, that couldn't be in remembrance of, my, of our sins because he said, I won't remember your sins. So he's not talking about sins. Put me in remembrance. Well, what would that be? Remembrance of his promise. Put me in remembrance of, of, of your goodness, he say, of my goodness. Put me in remembrance of my mercy. Put me in remembrance of what I said I would do. Put me in remembrance of what belongs to you. Put me in remembrance. Let us contend together. State your case that you may be acquitted. I want to read this out of the English Standard Standard Version. Says, put me in remembrance. Let us argue together. There's a there's a, a a level of praying that's arguing. So you're supposed to argue with God. He said, "Let us argue together. Let us contend together." And here's how you do it. He said, "State your case." Put the English standard says. Let us argue together, set forth your case that you may be proved right. Set forth your case that you may be proved right. The kind of praying that we're talking about is praying where, we're, where, we, where we present our case before God. Now God, for instance, you're not through with America. Are you through with America? I don't believe you are. It's not time for for, uh, Israel to be abandoned in this crazy world. Not while the church is here. What what, what am I doing? I'm, 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 I'm stating my case in prayer. I'm arguing my case. Just, just the idea is arguing your case like a, like a lawyer argues his case in court. Why is he doing that? He's arguing his case in court to get his, his defendant acquitted to argue the point he's making. That he can that he can be proved right concerning his concerning the person he's arguing for. Well, we're we're arguing our case before God in this in this capacity that we're talking about right now. We're arguing our case on behalf of our nation. That's what this prayer. That's 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 the tone of what we're praying and what we're doing. That that suggests a boldness in prayer. 
Now, there's humility in prayer. Don't misunderstand me. The Bible teaches humility. We're to worship God, and we know that, that his will be done, not our will. But there's another side to prayer that God wants us to stand up and have some spiritual backbone in prayer. State your case so that you can be proved right. The kind of prayer that the church needs to make is this kind of prayer right now where we argue our case before God. Now, God, this, 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 this. I'll let you, I'll let you do that. I'm not going to tell you how to argue it. What is true? What, what have you said? What are your purposes? What is your will? We, we, we know his will is that we lead a quiet and peaceable life. And all godliness and dignity, we know that to be his will. We know his will is that we don't allow certain things that, that shouldn't happen. That's his will, that we not allow things that shouldn't happen and that we do allow things that should happen. We know it's not his will that Israel be overrun by its enemies, not until not until the time. So it's our job to argue our case. Get before God in prayer and make it a matter, uh, uh, approach it like an attorney would approach his case before the judge, before a court. That's the kind of prayer that's needed. That's what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing. And that's what the church is called on to do. To stop being mealy-mouthed in prayer. Wishy-washy, well now, Lord, I don't want, I don't want to, you know, to make you mad now. That's, God is calling on us to stand up and, and be men in prayer. Take our place. Take our authority. Amen. And say, now, God, this isn't right. This isn't right. Is, is wrong wrong or is wrong right? Wrong is wrong. Wrong's never right. We're supposed to take our, our, make our case before him and say, now, God, this isn't right. This isn't right. I know it and you know it. And it ought not be. And we're, and we're, we're making our, our, our petition really a demand in faith that right be, that wrong be righted. That's arguing your case. That's what we're supposed to do. Amen. Praise the Lord. Do you get it? Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Like I said, I'm not going to tell you how to argue it. You argue it yourself because if I try to tell you, half of you get mad. Not really, but some of you might. I'll argue my case myself, thank you. <laughs> you argue your own case. Make sure it's based on the word of God. Make sure it's based on the word of God. Amen. You know what's, you know what's right and what's not right. You know. It's not, e it's not hard. It's easy <laughs> to argue what's right. Yeah, but there's two ways. No, not when right and wrong is concerned. There's no two ways of looking at it. There's only wrong is wrong and right is right. And there's nothing, there's no confusion over it. Amen. So that's the way God wants us to pray. Amen. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. 
If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.